we did the mousetrap car and it and it ran perfectly. I took it and I, I snatched all the pieces apart and broke the wood off and broke it apart and uh, snatched the axle out and pulled it out <laughs> and set the disc back off, pulled the pulled the rubber band and the balloon part off and I set it back down. I said, it's your project. You do it. <laughs> A man after my own heart. <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's his project. It's not my project. I help you do it. That's right. And show you how to do it, but then you need to do it. So now when he when he's presenting in the class, the, the kids are saying, did you do it yourself? They say, yeah, I did it all by myself. I know. When when Maria was in, I think, 10th grade or 9th grade, one of her friend's parents asked me, what did you get for, you know, problem four, the chemistry homework? I said, what do you mean, what did I get? She said, did you, didn't you do it for Maria? I'm like, hell no. I did 10th grade. <laughs> <laughs> The Super Fantastic Show. Yeah, that's not, that's not how this shit works. <laughs> Welcome to the Super Fantastic Show, where today's episode is sponsored by www.enhanceordestroy.com, the only book that can help you succeed in your athletic career by managing your relationship. Enhanceordestroy.com. Hey folks, I'm Coach B. Moore. Today on the Super Fantastic Show, I'm speaking with Dr. Anne-Maria DeMars and my co-host, Dr. Roddy Ferguson. The topic is navigating the challenges of parenting competitive athletes. Dr. DeMars is a mom of four, including the phenomenon we all know as Ronda Rousey. Take a listen to Square for Parents. Doc, we need some lyrics. We need some lyrics now, Doc. Okay, I will give them to you. You may write me down in history with your bitter, twisted lies. You may try me in the very dirt. But still, like dust, I'll rise. Does my sassiness upset you? Why are you beset with gloom? Because I walk like I've got oil wells pumping in my living room. Just like moons and like suns with the certainty of tides, just like hope springing high, still I'll rise. Do you want to see me broken, bowed head and lowered eyes, shoulders falling down like teardrops, weakened by my soulful cries? Does my haughtiness offend you? Don't you take it awful hard? Because I laugh like I got gold mines digging in my own backyard. You may shoot me with your words, you may cut me with your eyes, you may kill me with your hatefulness, but still, like air, I'll rise. Does my sexiness upset you? Does it come as a surprise that I dance like I've got diamonds at the meetings of my thighs? Out of the huts of history's shame, I rise. Up from the past that's rooted in pain, I rise. I'm a black ocean leaping and wide, welling and swelling a bear in the tide. And that, my dear, is Dr. Maya Angelou. Love it. And the whole nine. (laughs) Navigating the challenge of parenting competitive athletes. It's a big deal. We've got tons of parents out here who are parenting kids who are getting trophies just for participation. That's not what I consider competitive athletes. Competitive athletes, in my mind, are kids who are uh, on track to give everything they got and develop and on a plan to develop. And that's what you both are continuing to do. So. That comes with a ton of challenges that I'm sure that regular parents would want to hear about, um, especially as, you know, they're all looking for uh, the opportunity for their kids to excel. But it's not automatic. It comes with its ups and downs. And Dr. DeMars, one of the things that impressed upon me initially was the fact that you homeschooled your kids. And so if we can touch on that to start, because I think that comes with its own challenges that are further compounded later. What was your decision why did you make the decision to homeschool what was the what was the basis well i homeschooled Rhonda twice at two different points and jennifer once um 
when Rhonda was in the fifth grade, we had moved here from North Dakota the year before, and she was just really, really unhappy in school. And it was the middle of school year, so she would just say, please don't make me go to school, Mom. Please don't make me go. She had problems talking. And on top of that, we had moved here from North Dakota. Her father had passed away the year before. It was just a, a real constellation of problems, and she was really unhappy in school. And so I took her out of school for the rest of fifth grade and just taught her at home. And then in sixth grade, she went to the science magnet. And then when she was in high school, she was missing a lot of school because she was training for the U.S. judo team. She was competing internationally. And so I let her leave the regular high school and start taking her classes online. Mm -hmm. And then her sister, Jennifer, who's a year older, said, well, hey, I really don't like the way things are going at school. Why does she get to take her classes online and I don't? So I didn't have a really good answer for that. So then Jennifer also left the high school. She They actually were at two different high schools. Jen left the Catholic high school she was attending, took high school classes online, and then she took some community college classes. And yeah, so that's how that worked. Okay. So with the with you, did you have both at home at the same time? Yes. Okay. How how do you manage that in terms of the sibling rivalry and also the balance between being parent and like authority figure and nurturing mom? Well, actually, they're both pretty good students in their own way, and they had completely different interests. Jennifer is a year older than Rhonda. She has a master's degree from the University of Southern California, and she teaches middle school history. So they couldn't be more different. And Rhonda, for her electives, would take like honors oceanography online. And Jen was very interested in history and English. So it wasn't hard with sibling rivalry because they had really different interests. Okay. How about as a parent managing the, the balance between being mom and being teacher? Meaning for me, and I know, Ferg, you and I both have the same father side. I, I always tell people that, that uh, if I needed to swap out being a dad uh, with another father, I could drop my kids at, at Roddy's house. <laughs> and I trust the system. I understand that it's very much like mine. I get it. We both run our households in a very authoritarian way, authoritarian way. I couldn't imagine homeschooling my kids. And, and I'm wondering, how do you balance? Well, now my children may have a different view, but since you asked me... <laughs> They were part of an online program. So Laurel Springs High School had teachers mm -hmm. online and they had the curriculum set up and everything. So it was just a matter of me seeing that they sat down and did it. Yeah. And it wasn't all that tough because when they were at home because they were pretty genuinely interested in the courses they were taking. Now, when Rhonda moved away to Massachusetts, I think it was a lot tougher. I wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And Jim Pedro Sr. is a really good coach. And probably not as used to teenage girls. So he would ask Rhonda, did you do your homework? And she would say, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, let me see it. So when they were at home, it wasn't that bad. I think Jennifer, she just really didn't want to go back to regular high school. So she was very motivated to do well. So both you, Dr. DeMars, and Dr. Ferguson are these super accomplished parents. In, in your uh, household, uh, Radhi, you've got mom doctor and dad doctor. And both of you are accomplished in education, in your careers, and in your athletic careers. 
give me some feedback. I mean, kind of tell me what it's like, what you think it's like to be your kid. For, you actually come from a household where your dad was a, was a big-time athlete as well, so this is kind of the norm for you. But how do you see your kids, I guess, dealing with that shadow that, that you might cast? Or is it, or is it doesn't even exist for them? Is it just the way of life? I, I wouldn't know because it was, I, I guess it was a way of life for me. My dad was a Heisman Trophy candidate, NFL football player, played in the Canadian Football League, Hall of Fame at the University of Wisconsin. Uh, I, you know, he was known as the road runner. Um, he, there was, there was always pressure there. When I played football, there was pressure there. Um, I kind of tried to, I don't know if I, I kind of, I, I ran away from the pressure or if I didn't want to necessarily deal with the direct pressure, um, of going to the university of Wisconsin. Uh, but I, I mean, I really wanted to go to Howard university, but I, I always, had that pressure in my house. When it comes to my son, I see the the direct um, difficulties of having a dad who's an Olympian, especially when I go to judo tournaments. Mm-hmm. Because, and I, I talked to Jimmy Pedro about this before, it's because it's so hard because people, when they beat my son, they act like they beat, they've beaten me. <laughs> like, I mean, they're jumping up and down and yelling and screaming. And you can hear him, you can overhear him talking saying, you know, I, 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 I just beat, I just beat Ferguson's kid. You know, you know, he, you know, he's an Olympian. But what does that have? <laughs> that, that doesn't have anything to do with my son, but it's a lot of pressure for him to compete. And the way that I handle it, it's, I, I handle it. It falls under the, so what category? Mm. It's like, so what? You, you got to win anyway. Has, has Rufus or Roddy mentioned that to you? Have they spoke on it at all to you? I think Rufus told me that sometimes it's, it's a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. I, I told him I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, because the, 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 the real deal is I don't give a shit because his mom graduated Phi Beta Kappa from Johns Hopkins. I mean, from Georgetown. And then and this she went to Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. Then she did her residency at Hopkins. Then she did her executive MBA. And his dad, you know, did an undergrad and master's at Howard. And then I finished my PhD at Capella, and I was doing my PhD while I was training for the Olympics because my, my life is pressure. You understand so what I'm saying? This, I, so this is life. I, this, is, this, this is what we do in the Ferguson household. Mm-hmm. Like, excellence is the deal. So I don't want to hear about no pressure. How are you going to get through the residency program you're going to? How are you going to get through, you know, law school? How are you going to get through the farm D program? Because you're going to do, you're going to be a doctor of something, mm-hmm. and, and that's and, that, and that's pressure. So you you got you got to handle the pressure, and well, and it's rough because a lot of people they say you shouldn't push your kids, but here's the deal, man. You can push. You can push, and you can push too far, and bad things can happen. But if you don't push at all, nothing is going to happen. Let me ask you, just staying with you for one second, how, how do you see your upbringing and what your dad did? How is it different from what you're doing? What choices are you making different for Rufus and Radi than what it was like growing up in your house under this fantastic athlete? Man, my kids get more stuff. <laughs> They get a they get a lot more stuff. Like I, I walked in the house the other day, and, and Rufus had a PSP game. 
I mean, they just get more. And I told him no, and my wife bought one. She, he, she, <laughs> she was out of town, and then he told her when he was on the phone with her out of town, and she came back and ordered to get. It, you know, he got over on me. Um, <laughs> he, he, they, they just get more stuff. You know, my dad, when my parents were growing up, they always used to say, you know, we we give it to you if we had it. Mm-hmm. And man, and now that I'm growing up, you know, there are some things that my wife and I we we do have. And what what am I supposed to do? Just not give it to my son when, yes. when he when he asks for it? Sometimes it's just like, Doctor yes. Demar, did you say yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I like listen. I don't know what those things are because I got a <laughs> I got a five year old and a nine year old. So I'm I'm still figuring that out. I don't know what those things are. Doctor Demar, what what is your take on this? I mean, what? Well, for example, um, when Rhonda was probably eleven or. 12. She'd been in judo not very long and the junior nationals were in Hawaii. And I said, you're not going because you've only been in judo a year and you haven't earned it. And yeah, I could have afforded a ticket to Hawaii. But the point was, you should go to the national championships because you have worked hard and earned it, not because your parents have worked hard and earned it. And I think the world is full of people who are agreed it's academics or athletics that they're doing well because their parents have worked hard and earned it not because they did right agreed we we definitely have we definitely have markers in the house and things that need to be done um if some people think i'm you know they think i'm a little off because my kids get up in the morning and they run you know mile and a half two miles in the morning two three times a week I mean, it's, that's normal. And, and they ask, I asked my kids beforehand in January, I, asked, I will ask Rod D and Rufus again beforehand, do you want to compete at the national championships this year? If they say yes, then they know what that means. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If they say, I say, you're not going to upset daddy. If you say no, you don't have to go. Mm-hmm. Like one, there was one year we didn't go. I mean, not, not last year. We didn't go at all. Yeah, Rufus didn't want to go. Roddy didn't want to go. So we didn't train like it. They yeah. just trained. But this year they wanted to go and they, they damn it trained. You're going to train. Is there such thing as too young for competitive? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. How do we know? And where is it? Is it per, is it individualized per child? Is it well, per sport? I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's individualized, but I don't think that there's any five year old on earth that ought to be out you know, running sprints uphill every day and lifting weights. And, you know, I I think when your kids are young, you try and get them in good shape. You teach them to swim just because that's safe anyway. You know, you live in Florida. We live in in California. You know, you teach them to swim. So if they fall in a pool or the water, they're they're not going to drown. You try and get them from being, not get them to be obese. You give them a healthy diet. I mean, those are things on being a good parent. But... These people, I, I, I see people that tell me, oh, I've got this kid that is going to be the greatest athlete ever. They're so gifted. And I say, well, how old are they? They're seven. No. <laughs> when you're seven, you should be playing with My Little Ponies or, you know, little matchbox cars and digging in the dirt and hanging out with your little friends. That's what you should be doing. Yeah, my, my kids right now, people say, how many times a week do your kids go to practice, judo practice? I said, twice. They say, only two times a week? I said, yeah, man, my kids got life. Yeah. Rufus plays the saxophone. He likes to play the drums. And Roddy goes to dance class. Like, she has a life. 
Like and when and when they start training for the you know for the national championship, they go to practice three times a week. I know other schools practice six times. No, no, no. I heard a brilliant thing, and I wish I had remembered this guy's name. I was listening to him on the radio. He's a baseball coach, and he said, "You can give your children skills, but you can't give them talent." And he said that you see these kids that their families have money and they live out in the suburbs and they take their kids to Little League Baseball Camp and all these things and their kids have some skills and they have coaches work with them one-on-one. Correct. And he said they get in high school and you get these kids that don't have all those assets. But what they've got is they've got talent. And he said the really sad thing sometimes is those kids with the talent get discouraged because the kids who've had the five years of baseball camp and all that get ahead of them. But he said, if those kids with talent stick it out, at the end of the four years, they're going to pass up your kids. Right. And that's what people say, like, um, I think um, it was Jeff Colvin. He wrote the book, Talent is Overrated. Mm -hmm. Talking about the And I told people all the time, I said, yeah, talent is overrated. That doesn't mean it doesn't have a rating. (laughs) I say, trust me, trust what I tell you. (laughs) Talent has a rating. Yes, it may be overrated by a lot of people, meaning... A lot of people say, oh, you, they think you could just be talented and not do the work. No, no, yeah. no. The, the problem is when you run up against the guy who's talented, who is also doing the work. Right. Then you got a problem. Yep. Now, and let me tell you something. You can get really far on the work. Right. Because hard work is, is, is an aversive stimulus to most people, even the talented. Right. Okay. Well, man, I, I, see, I see it all the time, man. You, you, you got to... You got these people who pay for these these private lessons, speed, agility, and quickness, and all these type of things. And man, and they look good. They look good. They look good until they run up against somebody with some talent. Mm-hmm. See, I I know what my son is working with. I can see, I can see the 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 the, the technical skills, and I can see the the God given talent that he has. And if he wants to pursue that particular thing or the or the judo or the jujitsu, by all means, I'm I'm not I'm not gonna push him in a in a direction for something that's gonna cost me a hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. Once your kid is competing, so we're not we're past age seven. We're somewhere I mean, both of your kids by the time they're 10, 11, are already in competitive sports and they're kicking ass. Right? Under the underneath your tutelage and the coaches that you're working with and everything, how do your spouses or partners respond when they see you being hard on the, on the kid? Is there ever a point where you get the resistance from, from the partner? Like, hey, you know, I realize you're Larry Bird and you can hit the three from anywhere, but Junior can't do that yet, and maybe you're being too hard on him. How do those conversations go? My husband is the calmest person you would ever meet. And I think the only argument we ever had was about Rhonda. She was in Montreal at a training camp. She went up there with Jimmy Pedro Jr. And another guy was on the Olympic team at the time, and she was 16. And she called home crying and said, this is too hard. And, you know, I'm sharing with these guys, <laughs> and the room smells because it's full of dirty judo geese. And, you know, uh... with three other sisters. And she's up at this camp. She's the youngest person there. Everybody's beating me. It's so bad. And my husband handed me his credit card. He said, she's too young for this. Bring her home right now. And I said, you're wrong. She's stronger than she knows. And I told Rhonda, 
go down to the gift shop, buy something, you know, bubble bath, body things, go take a bath so your room doesn't smell so bad and you feel a little better and go back out and do it again because you're stronger than you know. So that's the only fight Dennis and I ever had. And he told me I was a mean old woman and I told him to be quiet. <laughs> so that's our biggest fight ever. And that was pretty much the extent of it. Ferg, we have a lane rule in my house. Well, everybody <laughs> understands. Everybody understands that lane, okay? Like, my wife likes to drink wine at night. I don't drink alcohol at all. I don't say anything about the wine. I don't complain about the wine. I, I leave the wine alone. I understand that, that that glass of wine might be the reason why I'm married on the first day. <laughs> now, when it comes to coaching, I understand coaching. We had, we had a conversation maybe one time, and I told my wife, I said, you, you got to understand what this is like. I said, this is like me coming over to your office and talking to you about medicine. She said, oh, okay, I get it. I understand. I said, that's all I'm saying. I said, yeah, I, I, I've done this before. Like, I, I've coached children before. Like my, my children are the first children that I've coached. I've coached children before. And there's a level of hardness that needs to be invoked in their lives because they don't have it naturally. My children aren't, there's, there's no park for my children to go to and play pool and fight. Okay, they don't know about the, the ping pong paddle with the sandpaper on the, on, the, on the ends. You understand what I'm saying, Coach B? They don't, they, don't, they don't understand any of that. My, my children have no clue about that. There's no pick-up football, tackle football in the street, or pick-up football in the park. Is it just judo? Not talking about this. This is what they have. Okay. I, I see the, the, the throws and the, the hardness of the training and the running and the, and, the, I mean, and the working for the things that you want. And when, when they compete and they get them, they need to go through that through that reap and sow process. That's a natural process in life. And they, and they need that. They, they got to get in this school. I told my wife, I said, listen, my, my man Rufus, my man Rufus, God bless him. Rufus is like me. He's a grinder, okay? He's going to have to grind his way through undergrad. He's going to have to grind his way through grad school. He's going to have to grind. He got, he's got to grind. Now, little Roddy, or little Roddy's like Tracy. She looks at the paper, sits down, writes all that stuff out, A's like her reading is she's she's high she's at a higher level than, than Rufus is when Rufus were, was her age, you know we, we cleaned up all our mistakes with the with the second child. Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> right, so, so she she benefits, you know. But my man Rufus got to grind, and he understands it. Now, so let me let me challenge you on that. T- tell me about a circumstance in which you did back down, or, or Tracy did back you down. It had to happen at some point. That's no. her. That's her baby boy. No, just no. Tracy don't win. No, not with that. That's my son. Oh. And and you and, and exactly, you just heard me. That's why. That's, <laughs> that, that, see that. That's why. Because let me tell you something. There, there's certain. There are certain things. Rufus. Rufus. My son Rufus is an African American male. Okay, and there there are some things that he needs to understand about with that particular that particular thing that he that he wears the skin that he wears and the and the title that he has what what that requires what it implies and what it demands and as as, as much as my much as much as my wife loves him there are certain things with that that 
she can she can probably teach him, but can't teach him and relate to the same way that I can. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that she cannot teach him. She can, because there are there are many who have, but not the way that I can. I'm I'm, I'm the one who's better equipped to do that. Okay. All right, Doctor Demars. Yes. Can you leave it at the gym? Is it possible to leave it at you the gym? You have to. You have to. Well, that's nice to say. <laughs> and I hear people say that. But I think it's really difficult. I, I remember talking to Sayaka Matsumoto. She's Sayaka Tora now. And mm-hmm. Her father said that they trained at the gym. And then when they left, that was it. They didn't bring up judo again until the next practice. Mm-hmm. I have never done that. I mean, judo is something I did my whole life. When Ron and I would talk about it on the way to practice, we'd talk about it on the way home from practice. We'd have judo tapes playing in the living room as you walk through. So I think it can be very difficult. I mean, yeah, right? He says that, but I tell him all the time, ah, just you wait, my friend. Just you wait. <laughs> well, I, I, I tell you what, I, I have been successful. I have been successful to date. Um, with that, yeah, but your son's nine. He's nine. That's why. That's why. I, listen, I'm. I'm. I, I listen. Just I admit, you wait, my man. <laughs> I, I. I can say this. I can say this. I think it's a good goal to have. That even if you fail, it. It is. It's not the norm. Now, here's the deal. If if Rufus wants to bring it up, Rufus has asked me to to watch the video. It's like you like some Uchimata video, so he's asked me about the video. He asked me about. He saw armbar DVD. What I have in the, in the house with Neil Adams. He asked me to, to to put it on. I don't put it on and say, "Hey, you need to watch this." Say, "Hey, you need to do this." Hey, I I know. And we don't do judo moves at home. And it, Roddy tries to grab me in the kitchen, and I play around. I hug her. I don't do judo at home with my kids at all. Once we leave the dojo, we leave the dojo. I'll go to the dojo with them on a Saturday if I want to do some judo. But I don't want them to get home. And think that it's all judo, 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 judo. Mm-hmm. Not unless they not listen. If they make that particular decision, that there comes a time when there came a time. I have a I have a fourteen year old in my club right now. She that's all she talks about is Ronda Rousey, Ronda Rousey, Ronda Rousey. I don't want to go to that. But I'm so tired of hearing her talking about Ronda Rousey. I don't know what to do myself. <laughs> um, to every every day. Um, and she's fourteen. Uh, uh, you, this is a funny story. Uh, I got I got to do this sidebar, Doc. She she the dad says, "How do you think my daughter w- would do against a fourteen year old Ronda Rousey? I think I I think she she she'd win." I said, "Ronda would put your daughter in the fucking hospital." <laughs> I said, <laughs> "He said you think so?" I said, "Bro, I watched." I said, "Do you understand that I was on the Olympic team with Ronda at 16? I said, "I watched Ronda beat grown women at at 13, 14, and fifteen years old." It, I, I felt bad for those people, but man, getting back to what I was saying, man, I I, I don't want my, I I think a time is going to come, like it probably came with Rhonda. You can tell me if I'm wrong, Doc. Well, Rhonda said, "I want to be an ex. I want to be an Olympic champion. I want to go to the Olympics. I want." Once the child says that, it's different. My son has never said that. I have a kid in my club, um, by the name of Peyton. Peyton is, um, he's nine, nine or ten. Peyton says, I want to go to the Olympics. I want to be an Olympic champion. My son kind of looked at him like, good luck. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but he never said that. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna push him to do that. 
I want I want both of my children. I want Roddy and Rufus. I would I would love for them to be double black belts in judo and jujitsu. Black belt in judo is a mandatory thing. You you're doing judo in this house till you're 18, period. Because I think that learning quality self-defense and 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 indulging in the martial arts is good for all persons. So that that's just that's just what we do as a family. Mm-hmm. When Dr. Demars, were you Rhonda's first coach? Yes. When did you get to the point where you thought it was time to hand her off? Always. Um, when she started, I took her to my friend Tony Mojica's club and she trained there with him and a couple other friends of mine. And, um, yeah, I always took her to different clubs because no matter how smart you are, you don't know everything. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that, Ferg? I am in a different location than, um, Dr. Amory and that being, man, when you're in California, you can, man, there's a lot of clubs to go to. Mm-hmm. When, Rufus, when Rufus first started judo, I, when he first started, I sent him to um, a guy by the name of um, Sensei Del Cides. He was from Cuba. He was here in Tampa. I felt so good when he was here because I didn't have to coach Rufus. I could just drop him off <laughs> and, let him judo, and let him do judo. But then Del Cides moved. He moved. And now I was looking for a place to take Rufus to, to do judo in Tampa. And then I was getting so frustrated. I tried to send him to, to another one club, but I got so frustrated. I, and that, that is what caused me to open up a judo club. Mm. There was nowhere to send him. Now, if, if, I'm close, if I was close to some other great clubs in the area, I'd be, I'd be more than happy to send them. Right. Can he learn from everybody? Of course, man. Do we go to camps? Of course. I wish I lived in Southern California next to three or four judo clubs like, like um, Mojica's and Tenry and other, and other places. But I'm in Tampa, which is very different from my, if I'm in Miami, oh my gosh, he'd be everywhere. He'd be, he'd be almost every club I can go to. You have your own practice. I mean, you go to another dojo for practice and instruction, right? For me? For your personal practice, yeah. I go to another JoJo for my. I, I go to other coaches, other black belts. Black belts. Some of the black belts in the area get together in jujitsu, and we train with each other, and then we kind of trade ideas. I did that today at our Gracie Tampa with Rob Khan. Mm-hmm. Now, you you got to do it because you got you got to stay sharp. Now I've known you for a long time. I've known you for years and years and years. <laughs> do you believe yeah. that you have the ability to let go? That you actually could subordinate your coaching to to another coach's coaches. Uh, Tutelage for your children? Oh, for sure. <laughs> I'm going to challenge you on that one. We're going to challenge. <laughs> no, no, no. I, listen, and, and, I, and I say for sure because I, I know the type of person that I would hand them over to. I mean, I, I, I would feel comfortable if, if they were going to college and they went to San Jose. I feel comfortable with the person going to San Jose for mm-hmm. a period of time. Mm-hmm. Because, because I, I understand the role of a of being a parent, and I understand the role of being an advisor, I understand the role of being a coach, and I understand the role of being a mentor. There's a certain point where you need to back off and you need to be an advisor. Mm-hmm. I don't, you don't have to coach your kid all the time. I don't have to coach my kid all the time to be able to sit my kid down at the whiteboard and tell him some stuff that he needs to know in terms of strategy and tactics. It's, it's different. Just you wait, Roddy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Dr. DeMars, when, when does it kick in? I mean, he's at nine and, and five right now. So yeah, when does it change? Horrible then. And they just think you know everything the whole wide world. And then they get to be teenagers and you are the dumbest person God ever made. Which one do you think and, is going to give him more trouble, the boy or the girl? Oh, Roddy, little Roddy for sure. <laughs> you know, and I don't know if that's so much a gender thing as a personality thing, because if you have met little Miss Roddy Ferguson, mm-hmm. you take a look at that one. You know she is trouble on two feet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's true, yeah. Roddy, right? No, she's she's a lot to handle. <laughs> okay. She, she's I mean, the, she's I, smart today. and she's beautiful and she knows it. Man, let me tell you something. And today at practice, my son Rufus... He was giving me so much shit at practice. I asked my mom. I said, man, was I like that? She said, you were worse. <laughs> I bet your mother was laughing. Oh, <laughs> my yeah, she was, she was now has three children. Every time her middle one stands up on her, her chair and screams, no, in Maria's face, I just think, God has a sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but B, it's a, it, for me, it's about... You, you gotta hand the person off. You just gotta hand them off to the right person, yeah. right? Like, you know what, I, 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 I don't, I, mean, I don't, I don't know how many, I don't know how many, I don't know how many more Jim Pedro seniors we're gonna have in the United States. I'm, 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 I'm I might be the Jim Pedro senior guy by that time. <laughs> I was just gonna say that sounds like a good thing to say, and I used to have perfect theories about raising children and no actual children. And now I have actual children and no theories. Because you know, I, 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 I want to use that. That was good, B, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> because Go ahead, Doc. you can say all those things, and my child's going to do this, and my child's going to do that. But then you have children that grow up and have their own ideas. Mm-hmm. And you may think, I'm going to send you to the best coach that there is, but they have their own ideas. Right. If they want, yeah. You know, it's kind of like, I know this is a little bit off topic, but we make these adventure games that teach math. And one of the things that we tell people is the reason we focused on the middle school age group for our games is because little kids are easy. You tell your kids, you sit down at that table and you do your homework and they sit down and they do it. There might be some whining and fussing, but they do it. But then they get to a point where they say, I'm not doing that homework and you can't make me and you can't. And so that's why we made these games so the kids wanted to do it. Right. Well, it's right. the same thing with coaching. There comes a point where you say, you're going to go to that coach and they're the best person in the world for you. And the kid says, no, I'm going to go over here with Joe Idiot. And you can't make them. Hmm. Yeah, I, I got to, hmm, that one. I, I mean, I, you know, I, I, you might be right. I'm sure yeah. y'all weren't perfect when you were young. Yeah, but I never told my mom and dad what I wasn't going to do, ever. That wouldn't have worked out for me. That wouldn't have worked out for me. I don't think, I, I don't think, I, I don't think I'd be here today to, to have this conversation with well, you. Well, sometimes people leave home. That's true. That is true. That's what I did. Hmm. Yeah, but the, 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 my parents, you know, I got spankings with extension cords and stuff like that, belts, but at, at, all in all, they weren't that bad. I, you know, the, the, the cooking was good. I was going to say. Food was free. The food, <laughs> was free. food was free. Housing was free. Shit. Well, that's like my <laughs> second daughter, Jennifer, when she was, um, she stayed home for two years and went to community college. And then she transferred off to San Francisco State. And then she went there. And then she got her master's at USC. But 
She's living at home, going to Santa Monica College, and her oldest sister, Maria, says to her, I can't believe you're still living at home and you're 18 years old. And Jen says, hey, they pay for a maid. They pay for my internet. The rent is free. The food is free. My tuition is free. I'm milking this deal as long as I can. <laughs> Look, we have, my oldest daughter is about to graduate college. And my wife has made it clear that if she ends up coming home after college, she's going to be very uncomfortable. <laughs> it's not going to be a comfortable situation. It's going to be a, okay, that's, we got the smallest, hardest bed we could find. <laughs> We're going to put stuff in her closet so she don't have much room to hang things no. up. Encourage right. her to go. Uh, Demi, Demi's coming back. Demi. She's, she's coming back home. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> uh, Dr. DeMars, my daughter is, uh, actually, she's at the school that Dr. Ferguson is teaching at this semester. So on occasion, I'll get a, a random FaceTime call, and, and, and I'll pick up, and it's from him, and he's standing next to my daughter, which, <laughs> which I love. That's good, because she, she, she never knows when I'm going to be around. I love it. Ferg, you're new at this. You got a you got a nine year old, a five year old. But Dr. Demars, you've been up the ladder. How how did the challenges change for you as a parent with each level of increasing competition or or changing competition? I think it's really tough. I have four daughters. Um, my oldest daughter ran track all the way through college, so from middle school through college. My second daughter or didn't do any sports and told me when she well she did she did soccer and I put her at all these things swimming and basketball made her try everything and she told me when she was about nine I hate all sports and you will never make me like them <laughs> and I made her try just about every sport there was and she was right um, and then there's Rhonda and then who you know went to two Olympics and then into the UFC and then there's my Little Julia, who has played soccer, she did judo, won the junior nationals, then went to soccer. Now she's, um, you know, signed with the college out on the East Coast. So I've had them all across the map. I think the really sad thing that happens with athletes who are successful young is you get a lot of people around them who are not concerned about their best interests. Mm, mm, um, mm, I, don't, I don't know if y'all know who Victoria Anthony is. She's a young woman who has been on the world team for wrestling. And really good kid, and her, she, her and Rhonda were at both at Venice Judo Club when they were young. And I remember talking to Victoria's dad about the kids, and he said to me, our coaches are commodities to these coaches. You know, if my daughter gets injured, if she gets pregnant, they will find another athlete. But these are the only three girls I will ever have. You know, and it's the same way with me. You know, these children are the only children I will ever have. But to a coach, they're whoever they can use to make them get to be the Olympic coach or get that job, you know, promotion or whatever. And so there's completely different motives. Now, sometimes you get somebody like a Jim Pedro Sr. who really is on the side of the angels. But often it's far more complicated than that. And like when Rhonda was young, she, you know, left home. She didn't want to do a lot of things. She didn't want to do her homework. She wanted to have an older boyfriend. She wanted a lot of stuff that we felt was inappropriate for, you know, a kid who was not quite 18. Now her sister, who's a year older, they're 13 months apart. Jen probably wanted a lot of those same things too and thought a lot of the same things, but no one sympathized with Jennifer. They're like, shut up, you know, finish high school, go to college, listen to your parents. But because Rhonda was a successful athlete, she had these sort of leeches around her. Oh, you shouldn't have to do that. You're an Olympic athlete. 
So I think it's very, very tough. I think for kids who are successful athletes, there is often not a good um, system around the people who have the, their best interest at heart. Somebody wrote me, um, sent me a copy of something he had written about my family and how he thought I was too tough on Rhonda and all the things that I did. And, and he wanted to know what I thought. And I wrote him back and said, I have done my best to raise these children to the best of my ability in an environment that was sometimes, and especially for those who are better athletes, often to their detriment. I have done the best I can. I don't give a flying fuck what you or anybody thinks of me. So I, I think that the higher level your child gets, the more people there are who don't have their best interest wholly at heart. And when Julia, my youngest, was, I don't know, she was maybe 10 or 11 or so and she was competing at the, you know, the junior national level. And my husband looks at me one day and he says, I hope she's not a great athlete. And I knew exactly what he meant. Wow. Do you ever, yeah. do you ever find uh, that you have to compete for the space as, as, as the kids get higher and higher in level of competition and bigger and better coaches? Do you ever find that you have to compete for that, for their ear? Um, to some extent. And I think when they're young, it's tough because Everybody wants to believe that reality is different. Everybody wants to believe that everything they do is perfect and whatever they want is okay. And everybody wants to think that. But of course, it's not true. It's not true for anybody. But, and, and it, it's not just sports. You know, if your child, I think, is gifted in, I mean, I live, in, you know, in LA, so I see all the Hollywood people, right? If your child's gifted in acting, they're gifted in music or anything, there's going to be this group of leeches around them that tell them that everything they want is fine. And if you're a teenager or a young adult, and you guys can probably think back on your own experiences, there's plenty of times, if you're honest, that what you wanted was not the best way to go. And probably, and I know for sure in Roddy's case, this is true, you got a little bit yanked back in line by your family. Yeah, right. But what if everybody around you is saying, that's okay, that's okay. I mean, you, you see all the time these young athletes in every sport that, you know, they're in jail for sexual assault or drunk driving or drug abuse or God knows what. Why didn't anybody pull them aside and say, yo, don't do that? Man, that, you know, I can tell you this, man, and I, I didn't even play. I mean, I played Division One football. And I played, you know, Division One AA at the time, what we call FCS, which is sub uh, the subdivision league. Um, and even playing Division One football in college, I mean, you just, I, I just see, I saw people just get away with, with quote unquote murder, get away with anything, just just because you're an athlete. Um, yeah, uh, Rhonda, when she was in high school, one of her teachers said, well, we'll just give, she's, a, she's an elite athlete, so we'll just give her a B and she won't have to do the work. And I'm like, oh, hell no. Athletes get catered to so much that they, they start to believe that their shit don't stink. But you, you, you know, not everybody is like that. I have to say, I mean, we, yes. this is a problem. I'll give you an example at a, at a, at a, a college where I used to teach. 
And the football coach contacted me and he asked about, you know, these students in his class. And he sent over and I said, you know, this kid's making name. This kid's really nice. This kid who's one of their star players. I said, first of all, this one class he's taking, there's no mathematically possible way that he's going to pass this class. He'll need 110% on the final. He just needs to drop the class because he's going to know. And since other class, he could theoretically pass, but he's going to need to ace like the remaining assignments. And I told the football coach, I said, you know, you have two guys on your team who are actually extremely good students. And one of them got the highest grade. And I taught like, you know, sections with like 100 students. So I'm, I'm going to have 200 students in the semester. I said, and last semester, this kid got the highest grade at 200 students. And this other kid who's a you know, senior a couple years ago, he was one of the top students I had. So I said, maybe you could get those students to tutor him and he might be able to pass this class. And he says, no, worry about it, Dr. Rousey. He will study with them. And I said, how are you so sure? And he said, because I'm telling those guys to practice. He's moving into their room for the rest of the semester. And he did. Oh, they were mad. <laughs> but you know what? The next exam, this kid had the highest grade in the exam. I mean, his grade came up so much, I would have thought he cheated, except no one had a higher grade than him. So I guess his two teammates were so mad that they had a third person living in their two-person room that they pretty much threatened to kill him if he didn't bring his grade back. <laughs> so, you know, there are coaches who are not that way also. So I don't want to paint everybody with the same brush. Right. I was going to ask you for advice for parents who are getting started with young kids and, you know, based on your experience for both of you, what, what would you kind of give them a heads up about? But before we get to that one, I want to specifically ask Dr. DeMars, what advice do you have for Dr. Ferguson <laughs> with his beautiful nine and five year old soon to be world champion or one world champion already? What, what, Knowing him, knowing his kids, what advice, what do you see coming down the road that he might not see or that you can give him a heads up about? I will give him the advice that Jim Pedro Sr. gave me. I ran into him at the high school nationals. I was coaching some kids and Rhonda had just started judo. She was a white belt, but I could already see that she might be exceptional. And Jimmy's son, Jimmy Jr., had got a bronze medal in the, in the Olympics. He hadn't won the world yet. And I said, Mr. Peter, I, I heard your son's doing really well. And I, I have his daughter, but I think she could be really good, too. And I wonder if you have any advice about coaching your own kids. And he said to me, always ask yourself when you're making decisions, am I doing this for me or, or am I doing it for my kid? And if you can honestly say, I'm doing it for my kid, you won't go wrong. You might make mistakes. I mean, everybody makes mistakes, but they'll be honest mistakes. So I think that is really good advice that you ask yourself, am I doing this for me or am I doing this for my kid? And you have to be honest about it because, I mean, human beings have an almost infinite capacity for rationalization and denial and justification. So sometimes you need to sit quietly alone with your thoughts and say, is this honestly for Rufus? Is this honestly for little right here? Is it to make me look like a big shot? Is it because I didn't win an Olympic medal and I want my kid to, or whatever reason? And if you can honestly say, this is for my kid, you'll have 
that strength and courage and integrity. And believe me, my man, it's going to take some strength and courage and integrity because there will be times when there's a whole horde of those leeches and they're all telling your children, oh, don't listen to your dad. He is just mean and old and doesn't know anything. And, you know, <laughs> it's fine if you want to go out drinking every night. You'll still win because you're awesome or whatever it is. You, if you know deep in your heart you're doing it for them you're going to be able to stand up to all those people and the other thing is if your children are outstanding athletes i do not envy you because it's a hard road to hoe and i have done this now with four i have four children and they're all of varying degrees they all have great athletic talent but they all have varying degrees of athletic interest Jennifer could have been just as good an athlete as Rhonda, but that's not what she wanted to do. She wanted to be a teacher and she's an amazing teacher. And the students who have her, you know, in downtown LA at John Lady, they are, are blessed and they know it. Um, you know, it, it's, it's harder. It's harder to raise a child when you have more forces aligned against you. And yeah, anybody whose kids are in the Olympics, has my sympathy and not my envy. Bert? Agreed, man. The one thing that I have done, and I appreciate the advice, Doc. One thing that I have done is I'm coaching uh, in the Bahamas, man. I've, I've coached a lot of kids, man. Coached a lot of kids. Coached kids to the Youth Olympics. Coached people to the Olympics. Um, I've seen the Olympics actually cripple some folks. Yeah. Um, when I mean cripple, cripple, and I've, I, I, it's sad to say that I didn't, I don't think that I did it, but everybody that touches the person along that timeline, that chronological timeline, had their hand in the thing. And I've had my hand in the thing, and I've watched people, I've, I've watched people, man, I've, I watched them. I watched the Olympic process bring ruination on people's yep. lives. Mm. Um, I don't ever talk about the Olympics. I don't ever talk about my Olympic experience. I tell people that it, it drives me to tears to do so. I had one of my friends today tell me that that I probably need to go talk to somebody, sit down on somebody's chair. I said, No, I, I have some good coping mechanisms. I said, Every once in a while, I put on some MMA gloves and I and I either punch somebody in the face or I let them punch <laughs> in the face. And, and I feel I feel a lot better about myself. And my wife knows that I got to go work out every once in a while to do that because I, I that that is how I cope. Um, you know, you, you get sold to. Uh, yeah, you don't. You you buy it. You you buy in. You don't just get sold. You buy into the to the whole Olympic dream and the Olympic process. And I really don't want that for my kids. Like like I said before, I, I'd be fine with my kids are just they just learn great martial arts, man, and they 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 double black belt in judo and jujitsu, and they learn the skill to be able to throw up a shingle one day, if they ever wanted to, they'd have it just like a kid knows how to, to you know, to cut hair if he goes to college. Um, but I want them to get the things that judo and jujitsu has to offer. And what I got from it, I, I, I don't, I don't think I want my kids walking that path. Unfortunately, um, I think one of, one of them out of the two may. And, I think they're both going to be great athletes. I, I, I think 
from what I see right now, Rufus can do anything from run to 400 meters to 800 meters, 400 meter hurdles, play lacrosse or football or anything that he wanted to put his mind to. He's actually that good of an athlete. And Roddy is, man, she might be better. I, I know for a fact she's in a, a smaller pool in terms of population on the on the women's side in judo. And, man, she she's good. She's just tough. The, the way that she just beats the the boys down. I mean, eight-year-olds. Eight year I mean, just beats them to the point that they cry. It's, it's fun to watch. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I mean, it, it's fun to watch, but I just, I, I wouldn't wish that on anybody, man. I, 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 I wouldn't wish that process on anybody. That process is a, is a brutal process. And a lot of people, I, I don't think they know. I don't think they know the, I, I, don't, I know they don't know. They don't, it's like, let, let, let's go back for a moment. It's like, it's like when, when Doc's husband handed her the credit card to say, bring Rhonda back home. Like, like he he didn't understand that that is part of the process. That that's part of the deal. Like I remember, I remember going to Europe a day early and not having any room and board, and sleeping on the floor in the train station overnight, or outside the train station overnight. Outside, like that's the deal. Like you 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 take four judo geese. You you compete, you hang them up, you go to camp morning, night, morning, night. After that, all the judo geese are wet. You, you're not washing them until you get to the next, until you travel to the next city. So they're hanging outside and they smell stink. And all you can all you can do is you put neosporin on your skin like it's lotion. Yeah, buddy. Like the, you, the, it's man. I don't even want to talk about that shit. <laughs> the, 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 you, the, people don't. They don't have a fucking clue. Boy, how does the how does the equation change when the goal is just to get my kid good enough to get a college scholarship? What if that's the goal? What if the you know does it does it change the equation? Does it change the answer? Well, my kid just got a college scholarship. My youngest one, and for me, it, it depends. I mean, I suppose it depends on the sport and what level you're aiming at. Um, she got an academic scholarship, but she's also playing college soccer. And I'm not that naive, okay? When I was teaching at a, I was teaching a Division three college years ago, and the students used to swear that the college athletes got better, got more financial aid and that. And I said up and down, oh, no, 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 because this was the college line, right? That, oh, no, we don't give athletic scholarships. It's totally based on need. And one day I was talking to the football coach about that, and I said, that's true, right? And he says, well, Dr. Rousey, it's based on need, and this year I really needed a quarterback. So, yeah, she might <laughs> <laughs> to play the college level. I mean, two of my kids, you know, were in college sports. They weren't Division One, but they were both decent, and I think it was a much healthier situation where it it kind of fit a lot more of that you know, Greek ideal of a sound mind and a sound body. And it was tough for both of them to balance their sport and their academics, but they managed to do it. And I think 
it's interesting because, you know, I write software now and my husband and I were talking about this, that there are probably 2 million people in the world that are very good at writing software and make a very good living. And so you're talking about college sports. There's a difference between being number one in the world at something and very good at it. And I think being very good at something is a perfectly admirable goal and maybe a more psychologically healthy one. There are some psychological pathology markers, very similar among people who are in special forces, like Navy SEALs, Army Rangers, people who are elite level athletes, and people who are killers. People don't tell you that. that that's the truth. That, that's also why they have really a problem kind of moving back into general population of society. The bad thing about it is, if we look at the bell curve of, in terms of an elite, an elite person's life, you're always going to be on the right and not in the middle. You're smart. When you're an athlete, the process of maturation moves you from the right back to the middle. As you get older, all the, the life that you, you are used to experiencing, you, you don't experience that life anymore. You get moved back to general population. And sometimes it happens abruptly. Sometimes with, with boxers like Roy Jones, with, with fighters, with football players, it happens abruptly. Uh, one loss, knee injury. Um, you, got, you get cut. because Listen, that, it happens abruptly. The, the, you, you move from the middle to the right slowly and gradually and grind and work. And, and, and I mean, you, you fight, you're lifting, you're sweating, you're bleeding. You move from the right back to the middle quick, buddy. It's fast. <laughs> this is, just use the military. Man, you go, you, you, listen, you go, you go to boot camp. You do all your stuff. You work through the, 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 the range. Boom, boom. You do all that stuff. You go to, you, you, you do your special forces training, special forces. You stay in. You go, you do your tours. And then all of a sudden, bam, you're a civilian. The bears nope. jump out the window. The bulls walk up the steps. Oh, listen, man, mm. I am telling you. Listen, and Doc, Doc, seen this happen. I've seen it happen. Man, you go to the Olympics. Honestly, listen, you are you are sitting in Mount Olympus amongst the gods. Okay, they call you an Olympian. You are hyped up, opening ceremonies, all type of people screaming, yelling. People from your, your town are, are throwing parties for you. There's viewing parties. The news media is interviewing you. Listen, you go to the Olympics. As soon as your event is done, it is over. And when I mean over, I mean over, over. When you hop on that plane and you come back home, if you are not amongst the few medalists out of the, I mean, you know how many Olympians are there and how many medalists are there? and then how many gold medalists? And as soon as you come back home, somebody asks you, so did you, did you want the Olympics? They say, yeah. Did you want a gold medal? You're like, man, if you don't get the fuck out my face, man. 
What do you mean? Did you win a gold medal? People don't even know the probability. Understand this. The probability is so low. But, pe- but they, they, they feed you with these Usain Bolt, these Michael Phelps stories, that you think there's gold medalists walking around everywhere. Man, do you know how many gold... Listen, there's, there's only X amount of events available. There's only so many gold medalists on the planet right now, Coach B. And the first thing that somebody asks you after you sweat, after you've given your life away, okay. man, you scrap, you scrap, you fight, you do all that. People ask, "Is you want to go up? Let me say something. Man, it has to be one of the most devastating things going to the Olympics ever. I, I don't think that I was, I don't think that I was depressed. I don't think that I was depressed. What will Tracy say? I don't know. Tracy, do you think I was depressed after I came back from the Olympics? She said, yes. My mom said I was depressed. I don't think I was depressed. When I look back on it, I say maybe I was a little depressed. <laughs> <laughs> I could have possibly used some help. Hey, Doc, do you think you think Rhonda was depressed? Yes. Um, well, I think, you know, she had been, she was the youngest person in the world to make the Olympics for judo in 2004. So she had been pretty much competing, training to make an Olympic team since she was 16. And she was 21. So that was all she knew. And she hadn't really gone through what a lot of people do where they kind of figure out what they want to do and have, you know, different boyfriends and go to prom and, you know, have a couple of different majors in college. She hadn't done all of that stuff, you know. So I think a big problem that many people have now is that that's all they do is that sport. You know, I think I had a different experience from you, Roddy, because I went to the world championships I won, and then I came home, and I went back to my job as an engineer at General Dynamics. And there's a big banner up that, you know, my coworkers put up saying, congratulations, Andrea, world champion. But then I went back to work. So I had some other role. You know, being an, you know, an international judo player was not my entire identity. I had some other role professionally that I just stepped right back into. And I actually think that the, the situation we have now where people believe that they need to be a full-time athlete and there's no way to compete otherwise, and I think that's detrimental to people. Mm. And I think, Roddy, one of the reasons you've done better than a lot of people is you did not neglect your education while you were. Mm. You, you, you're damn right I didn't. Doc, what, what, has, what was the difference for you in the two rides, the, the Olympic ride and the MMA ride? With Rhonda. Well, for one thing, in MMA, they paid her a lot more money. I mean, judo, you know, they can give her anything. So I think that was a big difference. As a parent, were there any differences? Well, she was younger when she was doing judo, so I think she listened to me a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Rhonda's always been pretty, pretty set in her ways. You talked about in one of your, uh, I, I saw written, interview where you talked about how kids get lost in middle school and disenfranchised when it comes to math and how that impacts the rest of their life. Do you want to talk about that for a second? Yeah. One of the reasons I decided to, to focus on math, I mean, I love sports and I love judo and all that is great, but where people's lives change is when they get an education. And very often what happens with kids is at some point they run into a problem with math. 
And I don't know when and where it became acceptable to say, oh, I'm just not good at math. I mean, nobody ever says, I'm just kind of stupid or I can't read. But somehow it's okay to say, I'm just not good at math. Well, that's usually not the case. It's usually that you missed some prerequisite basis for whatever you're supposed to be learning now. So like if you don't really understand the idea of proportions, you're going to have trouble with statistics. Or if you don't understand the idea of decimals, you can have trouble with probability. So what I have seen happen with too many kids, and this is far more true of kids from disadvantaged environments because they don't have as much support, is they run into a problem with math, whatever it is, and they kind of decide, well, I'm not very good at math. I don't have that math brain. And then the next course, because they didn't do that well in that one, and they're all kind of built on one another, they don't do as well. And at some point, they just decide, you know what? I suck at math. School sucks. I think I will just drop out. And it changes their whole life in not a good way. But if we could intervene and we could make it so whatever that thing was they were having trouble with, be it fractions or whatever, we could make it so they understood that and intervene at that point. Then the next thing, say decimals, they would be okay because they understood the basic of it. And then they would start thinking, well, you know, it's math stuff. It's not that hard. And yeah, I can pass this class and I may as well graduate from high school because my mom really wants me to. My teachers are kind of pushing it. And by changing that trajectory, you change people's lives. And you don't just change their life, but then you change their kid's life because Dr. Ferguson and Dr. Ferguson, their kids have a much better future ahead of them because they have parents who are well-educated and have good jobs. And then their kids will so that's, that's what, why we call the company Seven Generation Games, because we think that if we can make a change in someone's likelihood to succeed in school, we'll change not just this generation, mm-hmm. but their children and generations to come. Very nice. Absolutely fantastic. That was good. That sounded great. And it's all true. <laughs> I really believe it. You know, I could be somewhere else making a whole bunch of money, you know, running statistics for like the American Tobacco Institute or the Republican Party or something. I, 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 want, I want to say this, man. I, this, this is in line with what Doc said. It doesn't have anything to do exactly with what we're talking about, but it's something that my mom said today. My son has a tutor, all right? He doesn't have a tutor to get ahead. I mean, to get, you know, to, to, because he's behind, he has a tutor to get ahead because we just believe in tutoring and mentoring. So I was asking the, the teacher today, I said, do you believe in the whole language approach or the um, phonetic approach? He said, well, I believe in both. Um, then when he left, my mom was like, you know, I, I, I taught you, you know, both approaches and blah, blah, blah. I said, well, what, what do kids, what about the kids that don't have means and don't have a parent or a place at risk like, like, like Dr. Was, Dr. was saying? She said, then they, got, they have to get the means. I said, but what if they don't, they, they can't get the means? My mom said, she said, that's why the Bible says be fruitful. And then it says multiply. <laughs> she said, "She said a lot of people, a lot of these people out here multiplying, multiplying, <laughs> without being fruitful first. She said, if you don't have any fruits to pass down, she said, you need not multiply.' <laughs> I like your mom. That's good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let me tell you, this. when she said it, she said it, bro, and then she just walked out the door. <laughs> Drop the mic, all right? That was it. She, that, that was it. She said, the Bible says, be fruitful and then multiply." The Super Fantastic Show. Thank you so much for listening to The Super Fantastic Show. This episode was brought to you by Seven Generation Games, 
the games that make you smarter. SevenGenerationGames.com. Also brought to you by EatingForAbs.com. Look, you've done it your way a hundred times. Why don't you finally do it the right way? At EatingForAbs.com. And also brought to you by Dr. Ferguson's book, Enhance or Destroy, which can show you how professional athletes and elite athletes need to govern their relationships, help make their career longer. Take care and have a super fantastic day.